Welcome to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, the first podcast to focus on the political side of pharmacy. Here's your host, Eric Geyer. Welcome, Political Pharmacist Podcast listeners. I'm your host, Eric Geyer, and with me today I have Dr. Jerrica Dodd. She is the founder and CEO of Your Pharmacy Advocate and the editor-in-chief of Pharmacists Magazine. She's a graduate for Florida A&M University or FAMU College of Pharmacy, so go Rattlers, as well as uh, The Ohio State University and the University of Florida. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Dodd. Thank you. I appreciate you having me, Eric. Hey, the pleasure's all mine because you're really doing something that is unique and cool, and I don't think something I've really seen done in a lot of other professions, but definitely not pharmacy. So I have to ask you, what motivated you to start Pharmacists, that's Pharma, then SIS, magazine? Well, yes, it is pharmacist and actually uh, a play on the word pharmacist. And I wanted to build a platform so that women in pharmacy could share their story. And I learned to tell my story um, some years ago. And I'll tell you that I used to think that my story was that I have had brain surgery. I actually had brain surgery six years ago. And I thought that that was my story. But when I learned to tell my story, I realized that my story really was more about the fact that I didn't prioritize myself. And I think that that was true, one, because I'm a woman, and two, because I'm a pharmacist. I think in our profession, uh, we tend to do a lot of giving and uh, sacrificing ourselves. And all of that came to a head for me when I was faced with the decision of having brain surgery. Wow, that's that's really motivational. Like, what? I, I that's a lot to come that comes in at the same time too. Like, what made you realize that? Was it just the brain surgery itself, or like, was it seeing others around you and maybe being a little more reflective on yourself and them? Well, um, in that time, um, I you know they say sometimes that things happen in threes. So I had been on a journey prior to my surgery of being an advocate for my father who had been diagnosed with stage four lymphoma. And then five months later, um, being an advocate for my mother who had triple bypass surgery and came out of that surgery with a resulting dementia that lasted for a couple of years. And so I found myself being a pharmacist advocate, if you would, for my my own parents. And then ultimately, um, I had great care when I was a patient and having brain surgery, but I found myself being an advocate for myself. I was the pharmacist in the room, if you would, talking to the physicians and the nurses um, while I was in, in the hospital. And what I realized was that, you know, people, I wanted to do something to help people. And not only did I want to help patients, so I went on to develop a pharmacist consulting practice, but I also realized, you know, how much as a pharmacist, um, I was having to kind of make my way into these conversations with healthcare professionals about my parents. And I realized that, um, and I feel that pharmacists are not as recognized as they should be on healthcare teams. But I think as women pharmacists, we um, there's another layer added there, if you would. And so we tend to um, excuse ourselves and apologize and Hence the reason I wanted to tell my story, but also allow other women in pharmacy, pharmacists, technicians, and pharmacy students to share their stories. You know, it's funny you say that. I was actually just talking about a similar item 
today at work and one of the pharmacists I work with, you know, we realized that, and I'm not shaming where I work. This is a thing all across healthcare. I want to be very clear with that, that people only get called doctor if they have MD or DO by their name. But we also mm-hmm. had several people who are doctors of nursing and we obviously have doctors of pharmacy and there's even somebody who has a degree in computer health, computer health systems, EHR, stuff like that, who has a doctorate degree. And I'm kind of like, mm-hmm. why don't we call everyone doctor or nobody doctor since we're all work together? Like when you talk about patients, it really doesn't bother me as much, but like out of a mutual respect, why don't we do that? And to your point, I've been in the situation before when I was new and I was introduced somewhere and I just put my title down, you know, like, you know, Eric Iyer, Farm D, and somebody was started calling me doctor when there was other pharmacists in the room. I'm like, hey, they have the same title. Like, um, this is awkward for me now. Can we call everyone by the same thing? And they got very apologetic. Right. But is that kind of, you know, what, you, what you're alluding to with some of this? Well, I feel that um, I think that as women, as I said, we I think we tend to um, I say bow and curtsy. I'm from the South. <laughs> and we tend to excuse ourselves, whether in the actual clinical healthcare setting, whether it's in a corporate America setting. And again, I don't necessarily think that's germane to pharmacists, but I need, I wanted to start where I was because, um, you know, they say that oftentimes when you build a business that your ideal client, you're looking for yourself. So when I think about my journey, um, in you know, advocating for my parents, building a pharmacy consulting practice, and then ultimately um, publishing a magazine, I have really been looking for more women like myself who, when I first um, uh, developed the website for Your Pharmacy Advocate, my picture was nowhere on it because I thought that number one, people would not buy from a black woman. And so there was nowhere that you could find my picture. And someone told me, if you're going to build a business, you've got to get in front of it. You've got to be the spokesperson of your business. And so in publishing the magazine, that is why I did a post a couple of um, weeks ago where I said, why is she always on the cover? And for right now, it is my assignment because I needed to build a brand and I needed you to know that that brand was tied to me because I am the brand. Yeah. It's not really self-promotion as much as it is. No. It's just, just branding. Yeah. Like I get that. Right. And so, most pharmacists don't, we, we didn't learn that. We didn't learn how to market. We didn't learn how to brand ourselves. And so one of the goals that I have is for pharmacists to show the world what it is that they can do. Um, Because I think that we are one of the best kept secrets in the world is that people have (laughs) no idea all the things that we can do or the many places that you can find pharmacists beyond the obvious uh, community pharmacy or hospital pharmacy. Yeah, uh, you're you're preaching to the choir on that one. I totally agree (laughs) with you on the pharmacist uh, level. But you brought up some interesting points there. And you know, I, I think this is worth diving into, but what issues, I mean, women are the majority of pharmacists now, like nationwide, right. they are the majority of the majority of graduating classes. They have been for a while, but as we see baby boomers move on, they're just quickly moving into the majority of the profession. That being right. said, though, we don't always see that reflected in leadership or in other things. Like you said, like you, you mentioned, you know, you didn't want to put your face on the website because of being a black woman, you think people would buy that. What issues do you see women facing in pharmacy that maybe men don't? 
I think that um, when we think about a, first of all, though they are not my personal issues, I think that women can definitely relate who are mothers and just being a working mom and a pharmacist, um, the challenges that they face there. But when I think about women, especially when you say, you know, not necessarily in uh, a lot of positions of leadership or what have you, I think the thing that really rang with me is that a woman pharmacist, I think pharmacy is a great profession for women, but a woman pharmacist from what I've been able to see, whether she's single or whether she's married, and even if she's married and that and her spouse or partner is working as well, a woman pharmacist, when she has to make a decision about, I want to move and do something different with regard to my career, she, and not saying that men don't, but women uh, pharmacists tend to be if not the majority breadwinner, they are definitely a significant breadwinner in their family, even if they are married and their spouse works. And so I think about when I had to make a decision to make a change in my career, when I left the pharma industry and became a full-time entrepreneur, granted I was, um, I'm was i single, I had to think about healthcare, I had to think about providing for my household. And I think that same question occurs for many other women as well, whether single or married. And so as I thought about that and thought about the fact that we tend to shy away. So imagine I need to provide for my household. I need to provide medical care for myself. And I am not confident to put my face on a website of what is needing to provide that income. Like, I feel that women tend to, as I I mentioned, we tend to shy away. We tend to downplay our accomplishments, our achievements, our intelligence, our brilliance, our passions, just because I think we're socialized oftentimes to be that way. Yet, when it comes down to maintaining ourselves and our families, like, we're major pieces of that puzzle. I think that's a great point you bring up there because anyone who knows me knows I have no problem speaking up when it comes to like what I'm passionate about. You know, people know I'm a runner. They know other things like that. But when it comes to me putting on the pharmacist coat, I think I definitely fall more into that role. Heck, even to making the podcast, I hardly ever put my face on anything. I use my logo because I think that's like, I want that to be the image that people think of. And so it's interesting because I feel like there's a part that I can relate to. But when it comes to being a woman, I definitely can't. And I can definitely see what you're saying with my wife who works full time and does things like that. And some of the issues that she'll talk about at work. And I'm like, that's interesting. I wouldn't have thought about that. And, you know, mm-hmm. one thing I think now that pharmacies is the majority of women is whenever there's a pharmacist issue, it inherently almost becomes a woman issue because of its predominantly women. And then they might Mm -hmm. take more of it than the men do just because of that. So given how Mm -hmm. dominant women are in the workforce, what's a way that we can flip that switch, whether it's the way people view us, the way people respect us, the way we do it within our own profession, like what's a way that we can hopefully make a positive change so that everyone's treated equally? Because generally speaking, we're a pretty egalitarian as far as pay with the ranks as the profession goes. There's a little bit of a gap, but it's much less than the rest of America. So like Mm -hmm. if we're equal or close to equal on pay, how do we fix the other issues with it? 
So one, I think uh, making sure that women are supported in being able to support their families or their needs as they should be. Um, and there, there shouldn't be any difference in that. But as I said, for example, and you know, I'm not a mother, but I definitely have heard um, women talk about being able to be at work and be able to provide you know, breast milk for their babies, for example, making sure that women's physical needs are met. I mean, I think about, you know, when I think, and, and again, I can't speak from a man's perspective, but when I think about our colleagues who, you know, are definitely in the campaign to have better working conditions, I couldn't imagine not being able to have breaks and meals and bathroom uh, breaks as as needed, if you will, and what that would do to a woman's bladder, if you will. And so I think one of the first things that, and you know, I know that there are companies that have definitely made um, strides and made uh, changes to support women in those ways. But I think that if there's still people that are not, you know, it's it's like there's a celebration when we hear that a particular company is going to now allow lunch breaks. And I'm like, why are we celebrating? This should have been a long time ago. Like, you know, we're celebrating getting a meal and or time to have a meal. And I think that that should be, you know, those are basic rights definitely for all. But, you know, again, I'm speaking from a woman's perspective if there are places where those things still, those physical needs are not met, I would say that's a great place to start. You know, it's funny because I, uh, when I took over when I was working at a Walgreens, there was a pharmacist who needed to pump because she had a newborn at home. And it was always really weird because, of, and I'm not saying that because she was breast, it had a, you know, pump, but it was weird because we didn't know where was a good place to put her. Like we couldn't put her in the manager's office because there was like the, the money in there and things that had to go in and out like mm-hmm. all the time. There was no privacy there. Uh, the next best room was like the break room. Okay. Well, that doesn't make sense if someone else needs a break. There was an right. electrical closet. Okay. That doesn't make a lot of sense. And it was right. like, we don't want to put her in the bathroom or have her going there either. And she was okay doing it in the back of the pharmacy. And I was like, Hey, just like, tell me, I don't want to violate your privacy. We'll put up, we'll do whatever we can. You know, I want to make sure you're like, you're fine. Mm-hmm. Um, she was okay with it. I can see why many people wouldn't be, but, you know, we had the luxury of having her as overlap many days of the week. And if there's no overlap, like how does a pharmacist viably do that? And then also have to like go counsel a patient, do other things like that. How do we make that work? Like that's such a logistical nightmare. And as somebody whose wife breastfed for just over a year, or that's one of those things I've now think about. And I'm kind of like, okay, that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a huge issue. And like, we should not be discriminating against that or punishing that or anything like that but it is a logistical thing to work in there so i'm, I'm glad you brought that up it's uh one of the issues of, of the many we have any uh well, any other ideas or you, points if you think about you know what support women would have had in this pandemic that's now yeah. been going you know for two years because childcare became an issue and not saying that fathers and men are not um, you know, responsible or charged with the care of their children as well. However, I think we saw just in general, many women leaving the workforce because 
children had to be cared for and also homeschooled. And so being able, which I would say, you know, as you describe the woman, you know, all the places that it wouldn't be good for her to pump. I mean, can even beyond the, the actual practical, the practical side of that scenario, can you imagine the mental stress that that caused to feel like one, an outcast because you have to do this thing that no one else has to do. And then two, not to really have the facilities or the environment to allow you to be human, I think is is just amazing. And then, like I said, you know, with uh, childcare, I think that we tend to see more women be responsible for that. So, you know, I've seen or heard of instances where women have had health challenges or needed to leave work, but couldn't because there was no one to take over, no one to step in. And I think what we just have to be um, more, more aware of those things so that, you know, I, and I, I, and I think part of it, part of that solution is having men who are supportive and allies and also sponsors of women. Yeah. No it, matter what uh, environment or what arena they're working in. Yeah. And you know, one thing I would love to see too is boards of pharmacies be a little more uh, accommodating for things like that, especially knowing that Mm -hmm. the profession is the majority women now. And that could be an issue that a lot of them face because, you know, and this is just anecdotally, but like of all my friends who've ever even been robbed in pharmacies, they've all been women. I've had none of my male colleague friends been robbed. I wonder if that's like a targeting thing because they are women, you know, things like that that we don't even think about sometimes. Right. Right. Yeah, I um, I think that to as I can imagine in any profession, but we're talking about this one. I think that to be a woman in pharmacy um, definitely brings its own set of circumstances, um, opportunities, as well as even though you know we are you know greater than half of the profession, still that need for mentorship, support, advocacy, um, and sponsorship. Right. Yeah. And that's something that I guess in my current role, I'm, I'm, I'm learning as I get into more management of, Hey, I have to really kind of go the extra mile to do that. That might not inherently be there because you tend to, you tend to sponsor and mentor people who are like you, right? That's just, that's human nature, if you will. And so it's almost, I don't Mm want to say it's like unnatural, but it's like, you have to try and go the extra mile then realizing that you got to do right by those people too. Right. Right. And I think that every woman, um, whether she is known by name or not deserves to have someone that stands up for her. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a a good call out. I'd be interested in more ways that you think people could do that. If you could elaborate. Well, one of the things that I am definitely a believer in is networking. And I don't only network with other women who look like me. I network with women who don't look like me. I network with men who don't look like me. And I network with just people, if you will. And so I think it's important to get to know and to know people as much as as they are willing, because I think that when 
people when you allow yourself to be known and then when you get to know people you realize that we have more things in common that we than we don't and i think that it fosters relationships naturally so that when you do reach out and say you know hey eric it was great to be on your show great that we you know formed a connection i'd like to talk to you can i ask for your support on this or vice versa and I think that that's where those things start is building relationships. I think when I think about, you know, the the state of our country and just some of the angst and animosity that we have in our country, I think it's because we don't take the time to get to know each other. We make decisions and we make judgments and we make um, we create stereotypes that are unfounded and it really takes the place unfortunately of actually getting to know people yeah there might be some unconscious bias that slips in there too which is a whole nother mm-hmm. a whole nother discussion we oh, could go off yes. on. <laughs> right um, right but especially in a world with social media where you can like dislike clap whatever heart you know people's things you immediately start categorizing you like the way you're interacting with people in those type of ways and it's it kind of mm-hmm. almost gets rid of the gray area, like you said. It makes us right. more polarized, if you will. Um, so I think right. that I think that's all good advice. Um, so before I ask the last two questions, I do have to ask, you know, mm-hmm. what is really holding women in pharmacy back from being the front door to healthcare and being paid and allowed to practice like it? Do you think that that might be just hurting is because of, like you said, the, we're so humble and we like to kind of sit back, more introverted, if you will? Or is there something else you feel like that could really help allow us to like kick that door in and be treated as equals to other healthcare professionals, whether it be women in other roles or men in other roles, but also just pharmacists in general? I think what affects pharmacy in general and pharmacists in general is that we are quite a segmented group. Um, there isn't necessarily one group that represents pharmacists. There are many. You have many sections and silos. And I think, you know, I was I was um, on LinkedIn recently and someone posted a comment about a scenario they had seen and several people weighed in and gave their opinion. And I saw the post later as, you know, people continue to engage with the post. And someone says, said, can where are the retail pharmacists can we have a can they speak up and let's have a real conversation and i thought unfortunately that that was a very short-sighted comment because even if i'm not a retail pharmacist doesn't mean that i can't have concern about what happens to my colleagues in retail even if it may not appear that i work in retail because um you know on a day-to-day basis, I don't. How do you know that I don't work retail PRN? Or how do you know that I don't work as a floater or what have you? I think that when we segment ourselves, it doesn't do us very much good to have the collective power and voice that we could have if we operated more in unity. Yeah, we're already a number minority in healthcare. So why should we segment and uh, dilute our voices even more when it would really raise all boats if we work together on issues? Even if you work in a hospital, you might have the same issues, but hey, we can also speak on this because it is affecting the profession as a whole. So I think that's a good point. 
All right. Yeah. Well, I can't let you go without asking you the two questions I ask everyone. Um, okay. <laughs> if you could change one thing about pharmacy that is not a law, what would it be? And I would say that this is specific to pharmacists and, and our behavior, if you would. And it might sound a little dreamy, but I really believe that when we all went to pharmacy school, we put our heads down because we needed to do well and graduate and, and go on with our careers. However, I think that we stopped dreaming. And so if you could see the number of people that I talked to and that I ask just that simple question, what do you dream of or what do you want? And that might sound like really pie in the sky because we tend to be more analytical, but I really believe that we have many pharmacists who oftentimes want to make changes in their career, want to do different things, but they don't because one, they limit themselves because they don't even dream because I think that society has Society, family, friends, peers have defined what a pharmacist profession or a pharmacist career should look like. And I think a lot of us fall into that trap. And I think it's um, a sad thing to spend your profession, which we spend lots of hours at, and not be happy with it. And so if I could change one thing, I would be, which is partly what I do, is encourage pharmacists to dream, to look at what gap they see in healthcare, in the world, and fill that gap. I absolutely love that. I'm a bit of a dreamer myself when it comes to big ideas, not always the best executor on some of those ideas, mm -hmm. but I love that, that heartfelt, just go make a difference if all your dreams part of it. I think many people need to need to try and do a little more of with pharmacy since we are just, we, we took so much time to get here. Why did we stop type of idea? Right. Right. Uh, all right. Now, if you could change one law in pharmacy, it could be federal or state or what have you, what would it be and why? Well, I don't think that this exists anywhere, but I would create a law such that every patient would have to spend time with a pharmacist, be seen by a pharmacist. I think that we all went to school to provide patient care at a minimum in some way. And I am amazed from my work with my consulting practice, how many people just don't understand what a pharmacist can do and how many people have never had a conversation with a pharmacist about their health. And so if I could create, and, and maybe there's me doing some more dreaming, if I could create a law, it would be that every patient have the opportunity to work with or speak with, at a minimum, a pharmacist. That should be happening, but we all know that with counseling requirements, it sometimes boils down to, uh, do you have any questions mm -hmm. for the pharmacist? No, okay, bye. Uh, so I think that well, that is a good way to do that. And even beyond a retail setting, because, yeah. you know, not everyone encounters, you know, the pharmacist in that setting, we know. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I just believe everyone needs a pharmacist. At some point in their life, they will need a pharmacist. I actually, um, I have shirts that say that. Everyone <laughs> needs a pharmacist. And I really do believe that, 
many people would benefit even if they got to have a discussion with the pharmacist about their health and it wasn't necessarily with regard to picking up a prescription. That's a, a very new wave version of doing that, but I'm fully on board with it and support your idea. So, uh, uh, Jerika, where can people find you if they want to find you? Obviously, they can Google Pharmacist Magazine, but like, where's a good way to connect <laughs> with you and do stuff like that? And I'll put all this in the show notes for people, too. Okay, um, so there are a couple of places. I, I spend, as a social media platform, I spend the majority of time on LinkedIn. So I'm there on LinkedIn. Um you know, throughout the day, interacting and meeting pharmacists, uh, both men and women. And then the magazine uh, definitely is there. And um, the magazine has a Facebook and Instagram uh, page, as well as a website. It's pharmacistmag.com. And so those are pretty good places to to catch me. The, the website um, has a contact form. And then on those social media platforms, I get direct messages quite often. Awesome. Yeah. And that's actually how we connected too. So LinkedIn's a great way yeah. for doing that. Um, but mm -hmm. hey, thanks for coming on the show, Dr. Dodd. You've been amazing. I love what you're putting out there in the world and it's really trying to help a majority of pharmacists. So thank you for doing it. Well, thank you, Eric, for having me and thank you for your support. Anytime. Any anytime I can support a pharmacist, help me pharmacist, I'm all about it. But as always, thanks okay. thanks for listening to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, your prescription for pharmacy and politics.